From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Things in the world happen that are crazy. And if you have the chance to own real estate, if you have a chance to diversify your assets, if you have a chance to uh, take more control of your, your space situation, I think owning real estate is a phenomenal, a phenomenal situation that you should at least consider. That's Colin Carr talking about potential real estate opportunities for medical practices. We'll hear more from Colin on reassessing space design in a medical practice, leasing versus purchasing real estate, and how to assess your real estate options. But first, a word from our sponsors. The first healthcare compliance software solution creates confidence among compliance professionals through education, resources, and support in the areas of HIPAA, OSHA, human resources compliance, and fraud, waste, and abuse laws. Serving clients across the United States, the company's evolving platform provides real-time insight for board reporting and across multiple locations. For more information, please visit firsthcc.com. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost, the Care Credit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures. Care Credit can help reduce time and effort devoted to billing and collections while increasing patient satisfaction. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com/mgma-podcast. The COVID-19 crisis has created changes to space design for many medical practices. Its impact on the economy has also created opportunities in real estate. This week, we welcome Colin Carr to guide us through ways to best redesign medical office space, as well as offer the best options available to you in this real estate market. Colin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Daniel. Great to be here. Now, you and I were uh, meeting last year, just about this time, about a year ago, as we were ramping up for MGMA's annual conference in New Orleans. Uh, you were going to be a speaker there. Um, this is quite a different environment now, though. <laughs> how, are, how are things different uh, today as they were uh, about a year ago when you and I were talking in the commercial real estate market? Yeah, that's uh, that's the understatement of the century, right? Is things <laughs> things are a little different today than they were last year, and uh, it's there, there's there's no way to get around it. it it's it's uh, I'm in Colorado, obviously. Uh, we're getting the we've got a bunch of fires blazing through the mountains. There's all the political fun stuff happening. There's COVID. There's yeah. There's there's no shortage of of entertaining topics to talk about. So. When it comes to the commercial real estate market, there, there's been a lot of things happening as well, too. Do you want to you start with that topic or what specifically yeah. do you want to jump into? Yeah, I wanna, we're going to drill down and really get into uh, the healthcare medical group market uh, specifically in a moment. But I'd, just for our listeners, I'd love to get a sort of an overview from you on 
what the commercial real estate market looks like right now? Well, the, the market varies dramatically by the type of industry in the sector, right? So when it comes to industries like industrial or distribution, there's nothing slowing down there. Thankfully, those have been essential services and semi-trucks have been transporting goods across the country as is needed. And so there's concepts or, or sectors in real estate like industrial that are not slowing down. Uh, new home construction, uh, multifamily, single family construction, new homes in the suburbs, that is at an all time high. It's absolutely exploding. There's no slowdown there whatsoever. And in fact, this year is dramatically higher than last year, believe it or not. Other areas such as retail, there's a, uh, a, a huge pause, slowdown, fork in the road, and there's a lot of things happening in the retail segment, as you can imagine, but a lot of those things were happening even last year at the peak of the market. Uh, relating to, to this podcast and this audience, when it comes to healthcare real estate, the good news is, is that despite a lot of the crazy the majority of landlords are working with healthcare providers to weather the storm because they know that healthcare is one of the strongest industries in the country. They, they know they're going to get some vacancy because of what's happening with other businesses and companies going out. And if they have to put their money on any sector, any industry, they want to put it on healthcare. And so most landlords are working with healthcare providers to, to bridge this gap, to weather the storm. And we are very optimistic with, with healthcare providers ability to do just that, get through this time. And we think there's actually some really exciting opportunities for healthcare providers, both now and in the near future. What do you see as an opportunity right now for, you know, a practice administrator, a, a medical practice leader who makes those real estate decisions for their practice? Um, where are the biggest opportunities right now and, and looking ahead? Well, it starts with the idea of what we just hinted at briefly, which is landlords know they're going to get additional vacancy. Some landlords have already had some companies or businesses go out, and it depends on what type of property we're talking about. If it's a medical campus or hospital campus, that's different than maybe, uh, maybe a traditional office building or retail strip center. It depends on what type of property your space is located in. But landlords have, have seen increased vacancy. They know they're going to receive additional vacancies coming up. And so their game plan is to secure the, the most qualified tenants that have the highest probability of succeeding and then, and then lock them into leases to where it helps you know, mitigate their risk in the future and it helps keep their buildings occupied. And so because of that concept, there, there is the opportunity to, to leverage how strong healthcare is as a whole and landlords are willing to push harder to make deals right now. When it comes to lease renewals, if your lease is coming up in the next 12 to 18 months, landlords are going to get more aggressive to secure you as a tenant in most markets because they don't want the vacancy. They, they, they're scared of the vacancy. Uh, you know, a lot of landlords get away with the idea of telling tenants all the time, well, we don't care if you move or, you know, we've got someone that wants to backfill your space. They're not being as bullish with those statements right now and they're being more realistic. And their, their posture is always going to be strong. That's how landlords operate. But they're being more honest and open to us as agents when we're talking to them saying, listen, tell me what it's going to take to make this deal. Let me know, let me know what else you guys are looking at. And landlords want to make deals right now. And so I'm not saying this is 2008 or 2009 or 2001 or two after the market fully crashed. But landlords right now are willing to give better deals than they were seven or eight months ago prior to this happening. 
and they're willing to stretch further to make deals because they do not want vacancies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one concept. Another concept is the fact that interest rates continue to drop. I mean, we're, if for any healthcare practice that's considering buying real estate or buying land and building your own building, it's unprecedented the, the, the interest rates we're seeing right now. I mean, we're, we're seeing rates in the threes and the fours and the fives. I mean, we've got clients that are buying buildings right now and, and getting fixed rates in the mid threes or getting variable rates in the low threes. That's unheard of. I mean, that type of money is unprecedented in the commercial real estate space. So that's positive. And then a couple other areas that are, that are positive and lead for optimism is that a lot of construction commercially has slowed down. Again, m residential multifamily is not slowing down at all in most markets, but there's a lot of larger commercial projects. There's government projects, university projects, civic projects, those are slowing down. There's a lot of commercial projects that are finishing up right now. And if you speak to most commercial contractors, they don't have the same pipelines they had prior to COVID. And a lot of the subcontractors don't either. And so we're seeing, we're seeing construction costs already start to dip and we're seeing better pricing today than we've seen over the last several years. Mm -hmm. Again, we're, we're not saying people are, they're not, people are not giving away the farm. It's not 2010 construction numbers, but it is better than what we've seen the last several years. So despite a lot of crazy, despite challenges, there, there is a silver lining in several different areas. Yeah. Um, now, last year, our conversation really centered around you breaking down a couple of different options for practice leaders in, in their real estate de decisions. Do they buy? Do they lease? Do they develop? Um, are any of those now, I mean, we, we're in a much different market than we were in. So are any of those now emerging as a more attractive decision for a practice leader to take um, in this particular market? I believe so. I, I do. I, I believe that anytime you have the opportunity to consider purchasing real estate, you need to at least consider it. A lender is typically going to be more willing to work with you in the midst of a very challenging scenario than a landlord. Thankfully, right now, most landlords are willing to work with their tenants too, but a lender is going to be more willing to work with, uh, with someone who's borrowing money from them, who owns the building, who has equity in the property. They don't want the building back. They're, they're not in the business of getting a building back and trying to resell it. Landlords are in the business of getting spaces back and releasing them. But when it comes to the idea of what happens if, if in the future something crazy happens again, there's more flexibility, believe it or not, when you own your real estate. And if you get you know, 10 years into a 15 or 20 year mortgage and you've got half the building paid off or a third of the building paid off and you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars or a million dollars or $2 million, depends on the size of the building of equity, you do have more flexibility and you do have the ability to tap into that equity. You've got, you've got more flexibility with that. So, I don't, I don't consider the challenges or the craziness of the market to be a reason not to consider purchasing. And then again, if we get back into the concepts of the fact that interest rates are so low today, we've never seen them this low before in the commercial space. And the idea that you've got to have an office space to see patients for the vast majority of practices out there. There's some telehealth, I get that, but 99% of the practices do need legitimate viable office space. I think now is a phenomenal time to look at buying real estate. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't doesn't change the fact that there's crazy. There's always crazy. There's always some up or down. 
we've seen we've seen this is the third major scenario or dip we've seen in the last 20 years that that is a constant markets go up markets go down things in the world happen that are crazy and if you have a chance to own real estate if you have a chance to diversify your assets if you have a chance to uh, take more control of your your space situation. I think owning real estate is a phenomenal a phenomenal situation that you should at least consider. Mm -hmm. As we know uh, in the healthcare space, the communication between practices and patients has dramatically changed in many ways during the pandemic. We've seen uh, regulations. Uh, you know, uh, loosened, uh, so to speak, on telehealth. So there's been a lot of virtual visits. I'm just curious from your line of business, um, have you made adjustments then when you're, when you're showing property, when you're communicating with clients, are you doing more virtual? Or you, what, what does that look like now as compared to, you know, six, eight months ago? Yeah, that's a great question. It really varies state by state. There are some states, as you know, that have been uh, affected at a much higher level and have had much tighter restrictions. There's other states that we operate in that that really not a whole lot changed. Real estate stayed essential service, and, and believe it or not, our activities didn't very much. Other states, we were we were locked down and and basically forced to do everything virtually so we've got some markets where yes we've done a lot more virtual property tours we might have had one of our agents go to a space and take video of the space walk the space uh do a facetime you know or a live cast of and walk them through it but as a whole uh we've done the best we can from a commercial real estate perspective to limit who's at the space give the spatial distance that's that's required and then uh, make sure that everyone's in mass and that everyone's you know handling it appropriately and so we've still been able to show spaces walk properties uh get the key vendors in the space like the architects and the contractors and as a whole our world has not changed uh as much as as most people's okay um let's get a really good snapshot then we've been talking about the larger market the macro market but Let's drill down to what the real commercial real estate market looked like for medical groups and physician practices. Let's take a snapshot just prior to uh, COVID-19 hitting. What did it look like at that point in time? Uh, essentially all-time highs in every category. All-time highs in lease rates, all-time highs in purchase prices as far as purchase per square foot, price per square foot, uh, all-time highs in construction costs. Thankfully, we had, you know, very competitive interest rates there, but I mean, as it, strong and as bull of a market as you could possibly have, the pendulum really was in favor of the landlords. They're still looking to make good deals, still willing to give very legitimate concessions to high quality tenants, such as healthcare providers, uh, but it was 100% it was uh, a landlord market and inventory was low, uh, vacancies low, just just all the things that lead for the landlord to have an upper hand. Uh, thankfully, now there is a little bit of a reprieve happening there. And again, there's some markets where landlords haven't felt the effects. Commercial real estate typically lags. Uh, big changes in the economy, it typically lags residential, whether it's six months, year, two years, depends on how dramatic the dip is. Some markets, there's no change. Like we were talking about a couple of deals that we have some uh, agents working on in Miami right now and there's still four or five tenants fighting over every vacant space. And so some markets have not felt anything yet. Uh, other markets where they've received, 
where a landlord's received maybe even one vacancy or they have a couple tenants that are now delinquent, they're paying more attention. And again, they are willing to stretch further to make a good deal. And so that is, that's, uh, that's positive in our opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I want to follow up on that. You said so many um, indicators were at an all time high. Uh, why was that? What was going on to, what were the economic indicators? What were the factors that were causing everything to be right at that peak? There's, there's several of them. I mean, the, the concept of, of unemployment being, being at the numbers as low as it was before the stock market, the amount of money in the economy, uh, and people just, momentum builds and people get very optimistic. And, and because there hadn't been a major correction when it came to the stock market or unemployment, there hadn't been any you know, big stock market crashes, mortgage scandals, what are all the things we've had, natural disasters, world wars, all the things that have disrupted the economy over the last 20 years. We hadn't seen one of those large disruptors for, you know, almost a decade or more. And so because of that, just the momentum continues to build. Mm -hmm. And in this scenario, uh, you know, there's so much money when it comes to commercial real estate specifically, there's so much money on the sidelines trying to invest into commercial real estate, trying to develop commercial real estate. And you've got the concepts such as single family housing, all-time highs, multifamily development, all-time highs. And you've got so much money getting pumped into the economy. And then you have so much money on the sidelines trying to invest in commercial real estate. And then there's so much money investing from a private equity or venture capital standpoint, investing in companies trying to scale them, including healthcare. Uh, and so you've got all those things happening and it creates a scenario where from, from the development standpoint, most markets have not been able to keep up with the demand. And so you've had very, very low vacancy and you've had a lot less new product coming on the market. And so all that, all that creates an environment where it's, it's a, it's a landlord market, it's a developer market and they have an upper hand. And so they're pushing lease rates higher the contractors are pushing their prices higher because they're in demand. The subs are pushing their prices higher. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until I think January, February of this year that we saw any, any reprieve or any even slight dip in commodities. I mean, the, the price and cost of materials has been continuing to rise steadily month over month for the last decade. And, and we started to see a little bit of a dip in that area which then trickles down to some construction costs, et cetera. But there's just been, there's been no dip. It's been an increase in every category across the board over the last decade leading up or leading up to COVID. And that just keeps ratcheting prices higher and higher. Sure. Um, safety has been at a premium during the uh, global pandemic. Um, for a while there, practices were mostly shut down. Again, it, it depends on specialty, but telehealth took center stage as we were talking about earlier and then practices started to reopen. So how do you keep people safe? How do you keep staff safe? How do you keep those patients safe? Well, with medical practices, uh, one of the things was in reconfiguring, you know, the space design there. We saw a influx of plexiglass, plexiglass dividers put up, rearranging waiting rooms, updates to HVAC systems, things of that nature. Talk about that when you're talking to those healthcare leaders about their space and space redesign. Um, what have been some of the challenges in navigating those changes? 
Yeah, it's it's been varied. It's been varied uh, as far as who you're talking to. I think some healthcare providers and practices have taken a uh, more serious approach to it. Some have complied the best they can or minimally. And so I think it really depends on who you're talking to. It depends on the quality of building you're in. Uh, there was heightened uh, requirements if you're in a 30 or 40 year old building that maybe hadn't uh, taken care of its HVAC or didn't have other uh, precautions in place. If you're in a class A hospital or medical office building, a lot of the landlords uh, assisted with some of those processes and tried to help uh, improve the environment. So it really depends on it depends on on the actual healthcare practice, the type of real estate they're in, and then also depends on how serious they've taken it. Again, there's there's there were several states that didn't shut down. There were several states that uh, the the governors never never shut them down, and uh, things didn't stop as a whole for most for most areas. Again, a, a lot of people voluntarily did in those states, but. Uh, some states were 100% locked down. Some states, the governors didn't shut them down. And so, you know, most landlords have expected the tenants to make those upgrades themselves. Mm-hmm. It, it, when it comes to plexiglass or when it comes to, you know, spacing out their waiting room or having the, the ergonomics or flow come in one door, leave the other door, they've expected the tenants to take those on. When it comes to HVAC, uh, same thing. If it's an HVAC system that, that singularly, served one space or one unit for one tenant, a lot of them put that requirement on them to upgrade filters, upgrade systems. If it was a larger building where it was an HVAC system that serviced an entire facility of maybe 10 or 12 practices or 10 or 12 spaces, a lot of those landlords were willing to make some adjustments and make some upgrades to uh, just facilitate those requirements. And so we, we've seen it across the board. We've seen some say, if you want it, you have to pay for it. We've seen some say, we'll split it with you. And we've seen other ones say, we'll pay for the entire thing because it affects every tenant in the building. And we've seen some pay for it up front. We've seen some pass it through to the operating expenses. It's, it's been across the board. Okay. Um, one of the other issues then, since practices have reopened, um, they've taken account of who's essential, you know, who needs to be physically in that office and who can continue to work remotely. Um, That's opened up some space. So have you been in conversations then with practices, uh, with tenants who are looking at filling that vacated space? Is there a way to, you know, be able to reassign some space there and and be able to use that uh, most efficiently? Well, you're right. There's been a lot of people that have decided, or a lot of practices, excuse me, that have decided that certain staff members or people in the practice don't need to come into the office every day or can work effectively and efficiently from home. And that's really, as a side note, that's going to be the number one driver, in my opinion, of, of what happens with the commercial real estate market is there are a ton of very, very large companies that were forced uh, to work from home. I'm talking about large office users and they're realizing they don't need the same office space. And so that's gonna be one of the largest impactors of the market is that when these large office users that have you know, entire floor, two floors, entire building, when their leases start to come due, a lot of them are gonna downsize. I was talking to a, a gentleman who's the a chairman of the board of two publicly traded companies in Houston, and they have a huge block of office space downtown Houston. And he was telling me how uh, they just, they, they don't need the same amount of space. They've been every bit as effective working uh, digitally and remotely, and they're going to have a dramatic uh, downsizing of their space. So I think that's going to be uh, a factor that really affects the commercial real estate market as a side note. Uh, now, 
going to your specific question, uh, there really, there's really not a whole lot you can do when you give up an office or two or three in your space outside of asking yourself the question, are there any ancillary practices or providers that we could bring into our space that would want to space share, that would want to rent or lease space from us, that would be a positive to us, not impact our business negatively, and would be a positive to them. I mean, that's really what you're limited to. If you had a large enough amount of space and you could downsize your space when your lease comes up, or the landlord could turn that into an additional space they lease, or they could, they could join it to an additional space next door, it's a possibility to downsize your current space and do that. The challenge is it's very rare to give up two or three or four offices in a, in a space in a way that you could, you could chop that off and, and combine it with a space next door. Usually it's one office over here, one office over there. Right. You know, we don't need two nursing stations. We need one. And so the challenge becomes you can't just assemble that space and push it into the corner and then give it back to the landlord. You've got to have a viable space the landlord could cut up and then adjoin to the space next door. And then it's gotta be worth the landlord's time because then you've gotta, you've gotta combine the HVAC and the electrical and all these other systems. And so it's definitely possible, but it's, it's not very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that leaves you essentially with the idea of, are there any other providers? Are there any other services? Is there a therapy service? Is there a specialist? Is there anyone else? that you could bring in that maybe would like to, to rent or lease space from you a few days a week or space share, if, if that's the case, possibly. But the, the quick answer to this is that there's not a whole lot you can do, unfortunately, when you have a couple offices go vacant outside of one or two of those scenarios. And both mm-hmm. of those usually have a minimal success rate. Right. Um, let's look at it this way then. Um, if people are, in a decision-making mode. And I know it's been six months. I, there are t- days when it seems like we've been <laughs> set in this particular circumstance for six years, but um, it's still six months. So it's early days to just make rash decisions on real estate. You got to really think through this. You got to analyze all of the factors that would cause you to want to 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 maybe redesign your space, to uh, downsize, to move to another building, to redesign, all of those things. So what are some of those factors? You've touched on several of those. If it is, hey, we're really optimizing, we're being very efficient with part of our staff now working remotely full-time, so maybe we can take advantage of that. Or there are other factors uh, practice leaders would need to be considering then to make some, some pretty big decisions here on their real estate and their space. Yeah, that's a great question. Here, here's my response to that. Uh, practices need to evaluate all of their options when it comes time. If your lease comes up in the next 12 to 18 months, you should not be locking into a decision prematurely before you've seen the market. You should not, you should not approach a transaction saying we have to stay or we have to move or we have to do this. Or that. The, the game plan should be you should know all your options. And then you've got to compare your options one against the other to, to really understand what it looks like economically and, and what your actual property options are. And the game plan needs to be that you, you narrow down to your top options, you negotiate simultaneously on your top options, whether it's two, three, four properties at the same time on a non-binding basis, you go two or three rounds of negotiations with each option, 
and then you end up in a scenario where you've got back and final terms from two, three, four properties, that's the place where you can actually make an informed decision and ensure that your practice capitalizes and gets the best deal that's available for you. Mm-hmm. And there's ideas where people say, well, I don't know if I want to move or it's a hassle to do this or that. And I get that, but the difference in opportunities could be hundreds of thousands of dollars or a million or $2 million or more. And so you, you can't, you can't take the idea of, well, this is easier. So I'm going to just do this or we don't want to move or, you know, whatever the excuse is, like you can have a preference, you can lean towards that. But if you're going to capitalize right now, you've got to understand all your options because there's, there's scenarios out there that people are not considering that could save them a ton of money. There's people right now that could purchase their own facilities, their own buildings. And the effective cost of owning versus leasing over the next 20 years could be a several million dollars swing in their favor. Mm-hmm. And, and likewise, there's other scenarios where people could consider, you know, relocating and it can have a dramatic savings for them or upgrade their building. At the end of the day, if you do end up staying in your current space, here's what I can tell you. If you actually understand the market and you take the time to get out there and look at other properties and negotiate with other landlords, you're going to have so much more leverage in such a stronger posture with your current landlord that it's going to result in a much better deal for you. Right. At the end of the day, even if you decide to stay, you, you want to get the best deal possible. You're not going to get that if you don't know other options and you can't leverage them against your current landlord. The landlord has to know you have other options and has to have a concern or a fear that they might lose you. Otherwise, you're not going to see the best deal points, period. I think that's the important thing. You've used the term leverage several times, and you made a point that, at least for a decade or so, the uh, landlord's been in the driver's seat. They've been able to use the leverage, and, and what you were pointing to is tenants now, for the first time in a long time, have leverage. So how can they best use that? What is what are some action steps they can do, uh, even if they're planning to stay in that space to renegotiate a lease, to look at making some decisions now so it can be beneficial to them? Absolutely. The first thing you can do is hire someone to exclusively represent your interests and your needs. And, and here's why. The landlord knows when, when the practice manager, the administrator, or one of the doctors calls them the landlord knows that that person doesn't know what they're doing. Doesn't mean they're not intelligent. Doesn't mean they're not savvy in other areas. Doesn't mean they're not strong financially. It means when it comes to commercial real estate, that's not the strategy, right? The strategy is you hire someone who specializes in representing healthcare providers and they're going to quarterback or lead the process for you. When the landlord hears that person on the other end of the, of the phone or, or they receive the email from them communicating, they know that that practice is serious about their options because they took the time to engage an expert. And then that expert begins talking to the landlord and informing the landlord that, that the practice is out looking at other properties. They're looking at options to purchase. They're looking at options to lease. They're considering everything that's available to them right now. And that communicates to the landlord that they're going to have to compete for your business, for your occupancy in that space. That's a whole different scenario. When the doctor or the administrator, the manager calls the landlord and asks questions like, what would you do for me? Or would you send me a proposal? What that communicates is, and this is what the landlord hears, is I have no idea what I'm doing. If I knew the market, I'd be sending you an offer versus asking you for an offer. Think about that. The, the landlord is not going to send you an offer 
that's going to dramatically cut into their profitability, they're going to send you an offer that helps them and helps their cause. Uh, so short, short story long there, if you will, uh, you, you've got to have a focused approach and a game plan and a strategy. It starts with hiring an expert and it starts with that person helping you understand your options. And then when they're communicating to your landlord, they're creating the posture and the leverage that this is not a gimme. This is, you don't have this deal. And, and they, they flip the script on the landlord and they start running the numbers, telling the landlord, they'll actually educate the landlord and say, hey, listen, uh, this space is 12,000 a month and the average space is gonna sit vacant for 12 to 18 months before you release it. And then here's your cost to release this space when it comes to build out period, free rent, tenant improvement allowance, commissions, et cetera. And they're gonna quantify that deal. And they're gonna show the landlord exactly what they have to lose if they don't make the right deal. And that landlord at that point is going to know that, hey, the other party, the tenant and their agent, they are fully educated right now. And I've got to put my best foot forward. That's how you get a landlord to come to the table with the real deal. And the difference there is usually hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, compared to the, you know, the approach of what would you do for me? Or would you send me a proposal? Or we're not sure what we're going to do or, or any other thing that unfortunately managers, administrators, doctors will tell the landlord inadvertently. Mm -hmm. Final thought here then, um, with the best information you have right now, what are the next six months? What are the next year, uh, look like for the commercial real estate industry, um, for pricing, for opportunity there? What do you see based on your research and information? My personal opinion is that interest rates are going to continue to stay very, very low, which is going to open up additional opportunities for people to purchase, get into nicer buildings, larger buildings than they could have before because the rate affects uh, the payment, which affects the max price you can pay. So interest rates are going to stay very competitive or all-time lows, in my opinion. Uh, construction costs, I think, are going to continue to dip a little bit as we see more people trying to fill their pipelines and try to stay busy. Uh, I think we're going to see some very healthy construction pricing. Again, not, not 2010 numbers, but certainly better than we've seen in the last five, six, seven years, in my opinion. And then in most markets, we're going to see landlords and sellers willing to make deals they were not willing to make over the last several years. Now, I want to make a very clear point. It, it's, not a, it's not a 50% off sale. It's not, it's not some crazy 35% off the asking price discount but it is going to be more competitive than we've seen over the last several years. And, and here's, my, here's my perspective. People have been willing to do deals over the last several years with whatever the best deal they can get is, they're willing to do it and they're willing to move forward and make it happen because they've got to capitalize and do the best they can with what they have. Nobody can predict whether this thing's gonna be over in three months, eight months, two years, nobody knows that. But what I can tell you is if you have a transaction coming up where your lease is expiring in the next 12 or 18 months, you can capitalize right now. Mm -hmm. If you want to open an additional location or you have a desire to relocate or to expand, whatever the, whatever the need is, uh, we don't recommend trying to time the market or trying to figure out and wait till everything's perfect because it rarely works that way. And then enough things change to where you offset, you know, rates go up or construction costs come back or whatever it is, and you lose whatever upside or discount you're hoping to get. So, my advice is do your due diligence, do your research, make sure you have multiple options, make sure you're negotiating with multiple uh, property scenarios, make sure you have professional representation, and then the game plan is still the same as it was before. You do the best you can to take the best deal 
find the best opportunity, create the most leverage or posture. And I think there's still going to be some really good deals out there. And I think that enough things line up with interest rates, with construction costs, with a slight dip in the pricing in the market where people can find themselves in a better scenario than they were even seven or eight months ago, pre-COVID when it comes to the cost and the overall cost of the deal. All right. Well, Colin, thanks so much for this information. This has been great talking with you again and uh, take care and stay safe out there. You do the same. It's great talking to you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to First Healthcare Compliance and Care Credit for sponsoring this week's show. To learn more about the First Healthcare Compliance platform, go to firsthcc.com. And to learn more about how Care Credit is helping providers deliver a better patient financial experience, visit carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. Also, thanks to our guest, Colin Carr, for his insights on the healthcare real estate market. To learn more from industry experts, you can hear them speak at MGMA's virtual Medical Practice Excellence Conference in October. Be sure to register for the event at mgma.com slash MPEC. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.